0: Go. Legitimate race problem. That's the nothing personal word of the day for Friday. Yes, it's Friday, January 27th, 2023. The NFL has a legitimate race problem, according to lawyers of Steve Wilkes. Steve Wilkes, the interim coach of the Panthers who did not get the job. Yesterday, it was announced that Frank Reich will be the new head coach. Frank Reich coming off his successful sort of stint as coach of the Colts, turned around and got a job back where he was the first quarterback ever for the Carolina Panthers in 1995. And it caused an immediate uproar from lawyers of Steve Wilkes. Maybe of Steve Wilkes, but we haven't heard from him yet. But lawyers came out immediately Keep in mind, we are a year removed from lawyers talking about Brian Flores and how he was treated. Now we have lawyers for Steve Wilkes saying we are shocked and disturbed that after the incredible job that Coach Wilkes did as the interim coach, including bringing the team back into playoff contention, garnering the support of players and fans. Let me stop there. Owners don't care if you have the support of players and fans. How about garnering the support of the owner? But anyway... Let's not talk about that part of the statement. And they put it in quotes, which means you can take it out. And the statement still reads, you don't need what's in the quotes. Anyway, commas. (sighs) Shocked and disturbed that he was passed over for the head coach position by David Tepper. There is a legitimate race problem in the NFL. And we can assure you that we will have more to say in the coming days. This is a serious topic, and I don't mean to make light of it. But if you are going to go scorched earth after one stint as a coach, an interim coach, you did well. Steve did well. Coach Wilkes did great. Do you think that the right plan is to immediately, when you're completely emotional, to allow someone to release a statement? And then as part of that statement, say we assure you there's more to come. So does that mean that in a couple of days we're gonna have another statement? Is he gonna file a lawsuit? Is he gonna join the Brian Flores lawsuit? Is he going to become the face of the legitimate race problem in the NFL? The process for hiring a head coach in the NFL, much like Major League Baseball and the NBA, is the commissioner and the commissioner's office and all the people who are monitoring who are the head coaches, how many black head coaches there are. Right now, Mike Tomlin is one of two, along with Todd Bowles, in the NFL. Do you think that in any way the commissioner has sway over who owners hire? They can ask owners to interview minority head coach candidates. That's called the Rooney Rule, which we talk about, the Selig Rule. But I've told you that it's a complete sham. Owners interview minority candidates when they know they want to hire a white candidate who they want to hire. They also interview minority candidates when it's a minority candidate they want to hire. What sounds the same to you in those sentences? Owners hire who they want to hire. It doesn't matter what the rule is. It doesn't matter what the penalty is. If David Tepper wanted Frank Reich, that's who he was going to hire no matter what. The irony is that Steve Wilkes was likely not even a finalist for the Carolina Panthers job. And is that a reason to be shocked and disturbed? Does that mean there's a legitimate race problem in the NFL? The legitimate race problem is the numbers. The way that we do the math is that we want, and this is how we did it, back in running a team. You take the number of minority players or the makeup of the demographics in your league of your players, and you try to say that you want close to equal representation on the coaching side. But in baseball, it's not just about black people or black coaches. It's also about Latin coaches. Because in baseball, when you look at the minority who's playing, you've got a huge Hispanic percentage, Latin, small black but tons of minority managers, coaches, et cetera. In the NBA, mostly black players. So you look at the percentage of black coaches. NFL, people are doing that same math. But then look at the owners. If you look at the number of minority owners, it was noteworthy today as an example, and we'll talk about it maybe for a few minutes later. Can't guarantee it that Dana Brown got hired to be a black GM and it was noteworthy for the number of black GMs because there aren't. Kenny Williams is the only other one with the White Sox. But then you look at the number of black owners, and I can tell you, having been in owners' meetings, you can look around all you want. You're not going to see it. What's going on? What's the reason? We can talk about economics. We can talk about anything we want. But the only point is that the owners will always have the final decision, and bringing pressure upon them through these type of what I would consider inflammatory statements, it's not going to be helpful. If you want to rile up a constituency, if you're talking to black people who are angry or people who didn't get the job, what's going on behind the scenes is that the second place candidate who lost out to Frank Reich is just as angry as Steve Wilkes. The second place candidate happens to be Kellen Moore, who's the Cowboys offensive coordinator. And he came out and said he was the real finalist with Frank Reich. It wasn't even Steve Wilkes. You think he wakes up in the morning happy when Frank was announced? He's just as upset. So what is the end game? The end game, the commissioners will tell you, is to have more minorities in positions of power. So they'll go through an entire series of, of, events, where they build programs, where they try to explain to minorities how to interview, how to get their resumes together, how to get more entry-level jobs, because then they can work their way up the chain. Mike Hill with Major League Baseball is doing amazing work on the diversity side, trying to increase the pool of candidates. And I would never, as he's a good friend, tell you that his time is being wasted, except his time is being wasted. And the reason it's being wasted is all of the preparation you want to do, all of the help you want to give to any sort of candidates, none of it's going to matter until the color of the owners changes. And I'm not telling you that all owners are racist. I'm telling you that all owners have comfort levels of people who they want to be with because you're with your head coach or manager a lot. And all owners have an I. By the way, how do we not go right to Jim Mercy? Can you imagine what the press release will be from Steve Wilkes' attorney if Jeff Saturday is named the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, the aforementioned Indianapolis Colts? Jeff Saturday, who is not a successful interim coach, doesn't matter. So when you are looking at a statement from Wilkes' lawyers that says how successful he was, he could have done anything. Well, winning the Super Bowl, he likely would have had to have been kept. And I'm not saying that owners root against interim coaches who they don't want, because they don't. But I am saying that they have rationalizations in their head. Listen, if we make it to the conference finals, we're gonna have no choice. We'll, we'll sign him to a two-year deal and that's it because I have my guy and he'll he'll just wait a couple years. They're not rooting against their team necessarily, but it's a silver lining when the team doesn't win. So getting a team close to playoff contention, in playoff contention, NGE, it's simply not good enough. So Jim Ursay, there's a chance that he's going to hire Jeff Saturday. What a sham process. He's interviewing eight people in the second round, brought in Jeff Saturday to actually interview. Why would you need to interview Jeff Saturday to be your permanent head coach? We're off the subject, Coca, but I just thought of this right now and we're live. What is the reason? I've never interviewed an interim manager one time. You know exactly what you have. You know more about your interim than about anybody because you've lived with him. You've watched him manage. You understand his thought process. You understand whether he can deal with the front office or not, whether he can deal in the clubhouse or not. You don't need 16 games to figure that out. Coco, what did Jeff Saturday do? Eight games? He went one in seven in his eight games coaching? But if he's named head coach, it just shows you that what I'm saying is right, which is that owners don't give a flying rat's pituitary gland about anything other than what they want. And guess what? The commissioner is powerless. The lawyers are powerless. All diversity institutions are powerless who come up with stats and who are grading teams and leagues and everything that's done. It doesn't change behavior people want to be with who they want to be with. They're comfortable with who they want to be comfortable with. Does that make them racist? No, but it makes them exactly normal. You've got all of these situations happening, and it started with Brian Flores who opened this Pandora's box. I told you when he sued the NFL that he was done coaching and now I'm going to take it a step further. When you release statements like what Steve Wilkes did through his attorneys, you're also done coaching. Brian Flores somehow is getting head coaching interviews. I think he's interviewing with the Arizona Cardinals. I think Sean Payton may be interviewing for that too. Brian Flores is not going to get a head coaching job. You cannot be a head coach. I told you that when he filed the lawsuit, when you've got open lawsuits and you are shown to be prone to file lawsuits against the league or against your team, why would any owner want to do that? If you want to make a statement and you want to hire a black head coach, there are amazingly a high number of qualified black head coaches or head coaching candidates you could bring in. Brian Flores is not one of them. You think that sometimes – Black people don't understand when they are being given sham interviews. It's been going on for 20, 30 years more, the sham interviews. Steve Wilkes is also not going to be a head coach in the National Football League. Why would you decide to make a statement like that? If you believe it and you feel it, then you don't say it. Unless your object is to only bring attention to the fact that it exists and you do that for the betterment of people who are coming after you. But Brian Flores already made that inroad. This is not a racial thing for me. And just because I'm white doesn't mean I can't talk about it. I'm trying to actually make it easier for black coaches to get hired. I worked as you know, and this doesn't, this is not me talking about, oh, I'm not racist because I have a black friend. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about the mentality of people in charge. You look at the results of teams. At the end of the day, owners with their egos, they want to win. They want to walk around owner's meetings. They want to walk around their home cities. They want to go to their country clubs and they want to be winners. They don't want to be losers. And you're going to say it's winning enough just to own a team. When you are of that caliber of wealth and that caliber of ego, it's not enough. You want more. And the way to get more is to put yourself in the best position possible to win. And if that means it's someone you're comfortable with, then so be it. You don't get comfort with someone through the interview process. Interviewed tons, scores of managers. You don't know what your relationship's going to be like during the interview process. I can tell you when you're interviewing people who you don't want, I can tell you when you're interviewing someone who you're forced to hire and then you're not going to get along with, you can figure that out qu- pretty quickly. Sean Payton's gone through the process here, sort of the the modern day Bill Cower. Tony Dungy, people who are making money on TV and deciding when or if Jeff Van Gundy, right? He's a good example of that in the NBA, a commentator who's always wondering, will he go back to the bench? And then it gets to the point where, no, you're not going to go back to the bench, way too cushy and way too great a life. So Sean Payton, who was on TV, and I can't say that he's going to have a great career on TV, but he's interviewing for all these head coaching jobs and all of a sudden, rumors were coming out about what he was doing, that he interviewed with the Broncos and that it didn't go well, that he's not going to get the job with the Panthers because that interview didn't go well. The way interviews would work with someone like Sean Payton, it would, it's Sean Payton interviewing the owners. It's not the owners interviewing Sean Payton. There are very few coaches who get the ability to do that. Very few people in any industry. Who get the ability to interview their interviewers. I guess if you are a superstar, if you have a Super Bowl winning pedigree that somehow you have built your PR machine into, you've got to have me and I want the power, then you get it. But even then, it's quite rare. And even then, why would owners do it? Look back to what John Gruden did. You're right, Coca. That's a great example. He parlayed his supposed power, got off TV, head coaching up. How'd that go? Well, John Gruden suing the NFL because he claims that he got fired because he was set under the bus. All of that said, I was picturing the Sean Payton interview with the new Broncos owner, which is no Schlepper himself. Rob Walton bought the team for $4.6 billion, part of the Walmart Walton family. Sean Payton walks in takes Walton's plane to get there for sure. That's what happens. When you're really good, you get the owner's private plane taking you to your interview. When you're a new first-time manager or coach, you fly commercially, but first class to go to the interview. We'll set you up with our traveling secretary. When the owner sends a plane, you know that you've got some leverage. Baseball, it happens more often with GM candidates. You'd send a plane because GMs can be used to flying privately and they want to feel as though they're being feted, and owners want to feel as though they are demonstrating how they're going to be treated. But owners generally have a reputation with how they send people and treat people. But in any case, so there you go. Sean Payton goes in and looks at him and says, it's very simple. I'm going to want about 5 to $8 million a year maybe closer to $10 million a year. But more importantly, I'm in charge of personnel. You can come down to the locker room when I tell you, you can tell me about players all you want, except talk to the hand, because I'm not listening. What would make an owner give a coach that type of power? Desperation. Speaking of desperation, I believe there is one owner above all the other owners in football, who should be feeling the most desperate. And he manifested that desperation with a move yesterday that made me smile. And one of you asked about it. You know what I want. (laughs) I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Get in my Twitter at David P. Samson. Ask me questions. David. David. Can you explain Jerry Jones's decision to fire so many coaches and keep his head coach? And why did Mike McCarthy make the announcement? Help me. Help me, Rhonda. I'm a Cowboys diehard and I'm angry. Apologies to the person who wrote that because he or she did not write and it's Sometimes hard to tell. Did not write. I'm talking about because of the username. Did not write. Uh. Help me, Rhonda. I put that in. Help me. I'm a Cowboys diehard and I'm angry. What are we talking about? Mike McCarthy made an announcement yesterday and it was a doozy. Head coach Mike McCarthy announced today that the team has not renewed the contracts for the following coaches. And then it was like an Ace Ventura situation. He pulled out the list and it went and it was Rob Davis, George Edwards, Leon Lett. Remember Leon Lett, that fumble recovery? Skip Pete, Joe Philbin, Kyle Valero. Gone. And then the quote, we thank these men for their hard work, dedication, and contributions to the Cowboys. Do you know when those things are being written, fingers are being crossed, toes are being crossed, the people put their fingers around their nose like this? They don't mean this. Each of them represented our team and organization at a high professional level with class and commitment to making our team better, but they sucked at it. Oh no, sorry, that's not in the statement. These were difficult decisions to make because of the great respect I have for each of them as coach and person of character combined with what we've all been through together. Hold on. I have a little tear in my eye. Mike McCarthy and the other head coaches are very sad. I've told managers that we're firing coaches before and managers fight for their coaches until you tell the managers, by the way, if you want to keep those coaches so badly, no problem. I'll fire you too. You think that Mike McCarthy came to this conclusion on his own, that he was ready to fire all these coordinators? Well, they're such good people. It's the hardest part of the business, he said. We wish them nothing but the best. Horse hockey, you don't wish them the best. You could care less about what happens to them going forward. Oh, you're going to call Joe Philbin? Hey, Joe, you all right? Everything okay? No, you call Joe Philbin in and say, we're going another direction. We're moving on. Thank you. And Joe Philbin says, why? Our offensive line was so good. Well, because Jerry told me to. Mike McCarthy didn't make the decision right now to fire all of these coaches. None of these head coaches. If you ask every head coach you meet, every single one of them is so loyal to their coordinators and so loyal to their coaches, that's managers in baseball, that they will tell you they never want to fire one of their assistants. Let's just all call them assistants, because then it doesn't matter what sport we're talking about. No one head coach or manager wants to fire any of their coaches. They do it when the owner or the GM or president goes up to them and says, that's your choice. We're telling you exactly who you're going to fire. But what it showed us is that Jerry Jones is not going to blame any of this on Mike McCarthy, any of the problems with the Cowboys. And problems with the Cowboys, let me give you the numbers just so you have them. The Dallas Cowboys in the 2000s, this century, have had nine years of playoff appearances and zero Super Bowl appearances, they've won four playoff games since the year 2004. Now, before you say that's good or bad, let's compare it to a couple teams. How about just teams in the NFC East? The Giants have been to the playoffs nine years this century, with three Super Bowl appearances and two rings. That makes them a little better than Dallas's nine years with no Super Bowls. How about the Eagles? 15 years in the playoffs, two Super Bowls, one win. But don't worry, the Cowboys have the Redskins. Nope, they're not the Redskins. They have the Commanders. Five appearances, zero Super Bowls. That means that Dallas is the second least, the second most, the second biggest. What do you want to go with here, Coca? 4 8 69. The Dallas Cowboys are the second least successful franchise in the NFC East. But when you compare them to the other teams around football, the Green Bay Packers with 16 years of appearances, the New England Patriots with 18 years of appearances. You're talking about this century. The Dallas Cowboys have been abject failures. But yet Mike McCarthy came out and said, hey, Jerry Jones wants me to be Tom Landry. Tom Landry was the coach of the Cowboys for 29 years. Mike McCarthy will not be the coach of the Cowboys for 29 years. It's simply not going to happen. But Mike McCarthy wanted you to know that we're all very disappointed. We understand the fans are disappointed and we are too. Please have confidence and clear understanding that we're going to do everything we need to get this trophy. As far as my relationship with Jerry, I'm using his words, we're in an excellent spot. I like that. Do you ever tell your girlfriend that? your boyfriend or your spouse. How are we doing? How are things? We're in an excellent spot. When you're using the word excellent spot, you ought to be talking about one thing only and not the relationship that you're having when it's an owner and a GM versus a coach. So what's my answer to your question? I can't explain why Jerry Jones isn't firing Mike McCarthy. Does he have pictures? Does he actually believe that Mike McCarthy is the head coach who's going to help the Cowboys win? Or Here's the real explanation. Jerry Jones knows, I wanted that to be so much smoother, Coca. One, two, six, nine. What Jerry Jones realizes is that he's never going to have a successful head coach. And the reason he's never going to have a successful head coach is because he is the worst GM in all of football. Not the worst owner because they all medal, but he's the worst GM disappointed looking for trophies. The way teams decide who's going to make announcements, just to finish the second part of your question, is that owners only make good announcements and coaches and GMs and presidents make bad announcements. Just that's a rule of thumb. You will very rarely see owners announce the firing, but you will always see owners announce the hiring. That's how they do it because they're owners. Jerry Jones as a GM does not want to be associated with the firing of coaches because at some point you got to get fired yourself if you're the GM, unless of course you're the owner. And you may think I'm on Jerry Jones too much when I tell you that I actually have great respect for him for naming himself the GM, but I have great respect only if he fires himself. He can still be the owner of the most valuable franchise in the world, but doesn't he feel like it's time to get a little more successful Doesn't he remember what it was like when he wasn't making all the decisions? When we come back, we're going to review a movie, and I'm going to save you from a problem that you will have if you are me, and then we're going to talk about what's going on with my picks of the day and Jim Dolan. We'll be right back.
1: This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform.
0: welcome back to nothing personal if you're watching this live then you just saw a commercial for the afc championship and the fact that they're gonna have picard star trek's picard unveil their trailer at halftime that's sort of exciting i love the cross promotion it's great right when cbs and paramount they're all together if you're listening to this you have no idea what i'm talking about so we're going to keep going with a movie i watch a movie every day so I go on to all the streaming services. This is supposed to be Oscar time for me. I believe I've now seen every Oscar nominee in any category that is available to be streamed. So I've got to wait for the other movies because I just haven't been back to theaters. Maybe it's time for me to go back to a theater because there are a bunch of movies I, I still have left to see, but I keep a list. But instead, I saw a new movie with Allison Williams, and I'd heard of it because I believe that along with Riz Ahmed, that she was the announcer of the Academy Award nominees this past Tuesday. So it's a movie called Megan, although it's M3GAN. So it's not Megan, it's M3GAN. It is a movie that is a combination of iRobot, Ex Machina, and Chucky. I didn't realize it was a scary movie. It's about an AI doll that's real person and sort of loses control and what happens when that happens. I was waiting for Tom Brady's ex baby mama, although I, once you're a baby mama, you're always a baby mama. Bridget Monahan to come out. I was waiting for Will Smith to somehow appear. I was scared, and I love watching Allison Williams. I loved her movies. Get Out actually scared me. She was in Get Out. I should have had a inkling that that's what it was. It's an interesting script, but it's tired. We all know that when you create a monster or someone who's AI and you don't control them or program them right, they're going to do stuff. And it's going to be bad. And how do you think it ends? Spoiler alert. How do you think Megan ends? Just out of curiosity. Like if you had to just formulate one guess, what would you say? They live happily ever after? No. Megan. The good news is when you're fired as head coach, you get to be rehired. Nathaniel Hackett got rehired as offensive coordinator for the Jets. And I want to put one thing to rest because I'm tired of reading about it. You do not hire an offensive coordinator because you think that offensive coordinator is going to help you get a player. You do not hire a manager or a head coach because you think that that gives you a better chance to get a certain free agent or to make a trade or to get in the good graces. Everybody's reporting the Jets hired Nathaniel Hackett, Nathaniel Hackett, worked for the Packers as the offensive coordinator from 19, 2019 to 2021, Aaron Rodgers, who's rumored to be going to the Jets, now really want to go to the Jets. It's absolute malarkey. The way that Aaron Rodgers will get to a team is a team who can handle him from a salary cap standpoint, a team where he thinks that he has a chance to win and go back to his MVP level and get back to a Super Bowl because it's not like the Packers, what have they done? this century with Aaron Rodgers. One Super Bowl, one Super Bowl win. 16 years of playoffs though, that's pretty good. Aaron Rodgers is not more likely to don a Jet uniform because Nathaniel Hackett was hired. When you hire a failed head coach, you have this urge to make an announcement to try to explain what you're doing, to try to rationalize what you've done because people associate this person with failure. So the Jets went out of their way To say, hey, don't forget, we're talking about a world-class successful offensive coordinator here. The Jets are super lucky to have him. Forget what happened in Denver with his 4-11 record as a first-year head coach getting fired by a new owner. You shouldn't focus on that. I don't see any reason when you make a hire to have to rationalize or explain anything. Do you think the Jets fans feel better? Your season ticket holders are going to buy season tickets or not? Your corporate sponsors are going to give you more money, renew or not, because Nathaniel Hackett was hired as OC? Give me a break. No one cares. Sometimes when you're in a position of power in sports, you feel like you have to say certain things to the media. You feel like that they're owed an explanation, that your fans are owed an explanation. Just announce the hiring of Nathaniel Hackett. Is it a big deal that he got another chance to be a coordinator as a failed head coach? No, that's a Tuesday. So many offensive and defensive coordinators are named head coaches because they're the up and coming. They're the new it thing. There is zero correlation, zero. Am I, I'm exaggerating. A 5% correlation between success as a coordinator and success as a head coach. I think it's easy to be the boss? It's a whole different set of issues when you're the boss versus being the coordinator, to say the least. Good luck, Nathaniel Hackett. Welcome to New York, Aaron Rodgers. Not. Nothing. Personal pick of the day. God damn it. The Celtics did not beat the Knicks by eight. I'm going to get back to that. I don't want to talk about it. I'm not talking about the Knicks right now. I don't think you realize... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little more comfortable here. If you're watching this on Nothing Personal with David Sampson, YouTube channel, or you're live, I'm going to sit up straight and look in the camera and say this. I've never loved any sports team the way I love the New York Knicks in my life. I worked for the Montreal Expos. I worked for the Florida Marlins, the Miami Marlins, 18 years. The love I had for the New York Knicks from 1975 to 1999, I won't feel love like that again. I know too much about how the sausage is made and it has ruined me and my life as a fan. I can think back about the 1990s Knicks, about the success they had. I can think about how I felt when the team was successful, how I hurt when the team failed and the team lost. It helped inform me how to be a team president because I understood the emotional side that fans went through. But as a team president, I couldn't do anything about it. You can't run the team emotionally. My love for the Knicks has gone away and it won't come back. And the reason it won't come back has nothing to do with James Dolan. It has nothing to do with the fact that the Knicks have been completely failures since 1999. It has to do with, I can't remember what it's like to just love. That is one of the problems when you spend a career in sports or spend a career doing anything. How about if those of you who work in food? Does it not change the way you access food or think about food? All of that is normal. When I made the pick of Celtics-Knicks, the Celtics are a better team, giving eight. It should have worked. The Knicks ended up winning the game. We're now 13 and 15. This seems discombobulated, but with no prompter and no order of the show, it's not discombobulated. We're about to do an entire segment about Jim Dolan, but I want to just get you my picks first. Coca, is that okay? Coca's, Coca's mad. It's Friday. Don't be so angry. We're getting to it. Tonight, the Memphis Grizzlies four over Minnesota. This may be my final NBA bet. I am not betting on this league when I don't know who's playing and I can't get it right and I work my way back to 500 by being so good with the football picks and all of a sudden I lose it with the NBA picks. One more try. Minnesota has been a failure with Rudy Gobert. I'm taking the Grizzlies minus four because you know I love Ja Morant. How's Zion Williamson doing, by the way? He was just voted in as a starter for the All-Star game in the NBA. He gonna play? Hmm? Why don't you try playing for the Pelicans? All right, let's talk about the conference championships. Sunday, great day of football. Only two games. Sort of sad. There's been four games for a couple weekends in a row. Wild weekend. We had a fifth game on Monday. It was super wild card weekend. All right, I'm going to watch games. Here's the order. We got the Niners playing the Eagles. McCaffrey's sort of practicing. He's got a calf bruise. Eagles, as you watch them, have a premier defense, a premier offense. Brock Purdy. Who is telling you that Brock Purdy can get a team to a Super Bowl? Mr. Irrelevant getting a team to a Super Bowl? There are people out there saying, yes, that's used to that it can't happen. It's impossible to happen. Guess what's going to happen? Brock Purdy is going to get his team to the Super Bowl. Ironically, he may win the Super Bowl, get a huge contract, and never be good again. Hi, Nick. That was pretty fun what the Eagles did, though. I'm taking the Niners plus two and a half over the Eagles. It's really like pick'em games. These are two very competitive games. The Niners are just tough. Their defense is as good as the Eagles, and I think they have more offensive weapons than the Eagles. That means they're the better team. Do I worry about Brock Purdy against the Philadelphia Eagles defense? Yes, I do. Is it a a two-and-a-half point worry? No, it's not. Niners, two-and-a-half over the Eagles. All right, what about Sunday's game? Talk about gamesmanship. That was our show yesterday. Patch Mahomes came out today well, two days ago. How does that work, Coca? Yesterday's show was about gamesmanship because of what Mahomes had done two days ago. Today's show, I'm going to talk about what Mahomes said yesterday when he went through a practice and said, hey, it went better than I expected. I feel pretty good. Not a lot of video out there. He talks about which plays they're going to run and how they're going to have to go to his strengths, not his weaknesses, Will he be able to stay in the pocket, get out of the pocket? Well, something happened because it used to be a pick 'em game. Then the Bengals were favored. Now the Chiefs are favored. The only thing that's changed is the status of Patrick Mahomes. So here's how this is going to work Patrick Mahomes is going back to the Super Bowl, and they're giving a point, and I'm going to give it. It's a pick 'em game. Pick who you think is going to win. I'm saying the Chiefs at home. I saw a stat yesterday that Patrick Mahomes has played in 12 playoff games and 10 of them have been an arrowhead and two of them were Super Bowls. He's never played a road playoff game in his career. That's sort of amazing, isn't it? Anyway, Chiefs won over the Bengals. Make sure you watch these games. We are two weeks and two days away from the Super Bowl and the end of the National Football League season, which in my previous like was also known as Christmas Morning. All right, now I can return to the Knicks. Jim Dolan is the owner of the Knicks. Jim Dolan is considered by many to be the worst owner in sports. And uh, there was a time when our owner held that. I don't understand how our owner ever, ever could have been considered the worst owner anywhere when he won a World Series. I think once you win one Super Bowl or one World Series or one NBA championship, no matter what happens before or after, by definition, you can't be the worst at anything, no matter what. And this is not sort of self-dealing. This is how I really feel. As I told you with these NFL teams, we can do the same with MLB or the NBA. It's hard to win. Jim Dolan is not the worst owner because the Knicks have been so pathetic since for the last 20 years. No. Jim Dolan's the worst owner because of how he treats people who work for him, how he treats his customers. Those are the only two constituencies that matter. I'm not even judging people according to how they treat other owners, how they treat league employees. I'm talking about how you treat your own employees and your own customers. And I'm not talking about people who aren't fan friendly. There's plenty of things I had to do that aren't fan friendly. You increase the price of tickets when you haven't been winning because you think you can. You increase the price of concessions when people haven't been eating because you think you can. You milk as the head of a company the most money you can out of your customers and you go right to the edge where people are going to go to your competition and then you try to live at that edge and you try to create values so you can move that edge. I do not criticize any business owner for charging as much as they can for their products because guess what? If people are buying it, then you're not charging enough. Keep going. As soon as you see a dip, then stop raising your prices. Owners love winning because they can use that as an excuse to raise prices. Jim Dolan doesn't need to win to raise prices because he's got New York and all of us. I went to Nick games when they were so bad in the 80s. There were 5,000 people there looking through a bunch of clouds of pot smoke in the blue seats. I didn't care if they won or lost. I loved them that much, no matter what. The names on the front of the jersey is all that I would focus on. Knicks. It's still that way. Madison Square Garden with the highest amount of gate revenue, the highest amount of average ticket price, the actual most corporate sponsorship dollars, because you're in New York. You're not going to get change of behavior by an owner. Jim Dolan, we did a segment on him two weeks ago, three weeks ago you'll find it, maybe, about him not allowing entry for attorneys who have sued or are involved currently in a lawsuit against him or Madison Square Garden. And there are attorneys who have been suing Madison Square Garden and Jim Dolan about their season ticket policies, various subjects. But he has a list. And it's a list of people who are not invited into the garden. He then has technology called facial recognition technology. This is when you go to the Madison Square Garden and get ready for this because it's happening not just at the garden. This is happening everywhere. This is minority report time. It's time to walk into the gap and figure out what size jeans you are and have them bring you right to the rack because you haven't bought jeans in two years. There is facial recognition stuff right now at the garden where they can tell who's who, what's what. And if they see that it's someone they don't want in, they're claiming it's because of terrorists. Nope. There's nothing to do with terrorism. It has to do with they want to keep out the people they want to keep out who are on their list. And I like it. And the reason I like it is, do you know what our facial recognition technology was before there was facial recognition technology? Or what we do because we weren't going to spend the amount of money to put in the system that Jim Dolan spent? We had all of the security guards at every entrance have a piece of paper, a piece of paper like this with pictures of people we didn't want in the ballpark. Now, the reason we didn't want them in the ballpark is because they would do things. They would have behavioral issues. They would get into fights. They wouldn't have paid their bills. Whatever the reason is, we didn't do it because of race. We didn't do it because of terrorism. We didn't get the terrorist watch list and put that on pieces of paper. We had people who were not invited into Marlins Park. Do you know how easy it is to get past when you're only looking at a picture? What do you think? The security guard is looking at everyone who's coming through and then looking down? It's like having your face at the post office or on the back of a milk carton. Not nearly as effective. So what do you do? You come up with technology where it just beeps. I know you. I know you. Get out of here. So, I'm in for facial recognition. I'm not in for not allowing people to go to games because they work in law firms that are suing you, but I am in for what's real, which is you are invited to go to a game at the pleasure of the owner of the arena. At the owner. That's it. We don't need a reason to tell you you can't come. We just get to tell you you can't come. Go read the back of your tickets, go read the fine print when you click. We do, by the way, lawyers do the greatest thing now. Do you ever do when you're filling out a form and you have to fill out, I agree with the terms and services, or I have full agreement with that, and you don't want to read it, so you just click down to the box, and when you don't click on the box and you try to do something it doesn't let you do it, it takes you back to the window where you have to agree, and you're like, screw this, I'm just going to hit it. Well, what you're actually hitting is that you've got no rights at all, so good luck to you. So Jim Dolan gave an interview yesterday on a morning show in New York, and he was a raving lunatic. He was talking about the facial recognition technology. He was talking about alcohol, that he wants to have a game at Madison Square Garden where he doesn't serve any alcohol at all because he's fighting with the liquor authorities, he's fighting with the government, he's fighting with everybody. And the reason he's fighting with everybody is that people are tired of only saying yes to him. The power that he's held in this city has gone on for way too long. And this is not about speaking truth to power. This is about what's realistic, about what sort of power one individual should have in any sort of society. And I don't mean kings and queens and monarchs and presidents of the actual country. I'm talking about sports team owners. Now, we definitely have more power as team presidents than other industries because it's sports and people are emotional about sports and love sports. Gets us in the door, any restaurant, nobody says no to us really, unless you surround yourself with people who say no, which I did. And then they say no way too often. Jim Dolan needs some help and I'm going to help him right now. I almost was able to help him. I would love to have gotten the job as president of the Knicks and Rangers, but I guess telling Jim Dolan no is not the way to get that job. Telling him that you're going to do things differently than the way he does them is probably not the way to get that job. There's been no one in that company who will do anything other than let him do what he wants. Because if there were, you would never put your owner in a position where he's giving an interview where he looks so crazy. You can find it all over Twitter. You can Google it. Look for Jim Dolan morning interview. Good morning, New York interview. He wasn't drunk because he said he's been sober for 29 years. Don't know whether he was on drugs or not. Maybe he's just got verbal tics. Maybe he's nervous in front of a camera, or maybe he's just a complete egomaniac. But the things that he was saying about the power that he has led to a politician to actually give a response to the interview, which is so bizarre. There was a state senator named Brad Bowman Siegel who responded to the Jim Dolan interview with a press release. And in that press release, which is so strange, to actually give an interview as a sports owner that elicits a response from a state politician. New York shouldn't allow petty tyrants to impose their warped fantasies on the public while reaping millions each year from taxpayer subsidies. I'm grateful to both the New York State Attorney General and the Manhattan DA for launching inquiries into Dolan's vindictive business practices intended to silence his critics. Do you think Jim Dolan is shaking in his boots? Think he's nervous? There's state legislation right now that's going on in Albany right now, and it is a, uh, it's related to the liquor authority and whether or not who can sell alcohol when and whether or not the garden can actually hold an event and not sell liquor. There's a loophole that would allow James Dolan to ban alcohol, and it's a law that would close the loophole that would say facial recognition is not allowed to be used at sporting events. So what Jim Dolan has done through his meltdown is he's drawn attention to what he's trying to do instead of going on TV and explaining that the reason we do facial recognition has nothing to do with the lawyers we don't allow in. It has everything to do with safety. We're here in New York and we want our fans to be safe because that's all we care about. We want to win more games and we're working hard to do that. But at the end of the day, we want to make it about safety so you can come in and have two and a half hours of enjoyment and not have to worry. This improvement in technology is meant for just that. And then when asked, he could be told and say, well, in addition, we use it to make sure that we keep out people who we do not want to have tickets to our games. There are myriad reasons why people would not be allowed in our arena. And he wouldn't have drawn the attention of anybody. Instead, he was such a lunatic talking about targeting people, violating their their rights, If you're the team president of the New York Knicks or you're anyone associated with MSG or the Knicks and Rangers, you have to look at that interview and say to yourself, wow, I have done a deal with the devil. I like my paycheck and that's the only reason I'm here. Because I don't want to work hard for this person who is espousing these views that are so full of vitriol and hatred and they're so incoherent. Is this really what I want? How many of us do those same deals? Do you know why we do them? It's just business. Have a great weekend. See you Monday. This is nothing personal.